Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for tonight's program. So I want you to get that this is a part of God's plan. Everything we're reading here was designed to bring the circumstances for which Jesus could come and die for the sins of humanity. When someone makes a declaration about how things are going to be, particularly if their declaration is quite a grand or outrageous one, we tend to label them a bit cocky or maybe arrogant. Imagine how the Old Testament prophet Zechariah was received when he prophesied that the rebuilt temple would be more glorious than the first. This from a people who'd been displaced from their homeland for the past 70 years? What are the chances? Let's join Dr. Corbett for the third in the series and find out, shall we, as we further explore the Old Testament book of Zechariah. Let's pray. We're going to continue through the book of Zechariah. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to us and help us to hear with those ears that are in our soul, help us to see things with the eyes of our soul. And Father, today I pray for that one that you've told me that is going to need to hear what I'm about to say, that Lord, you would cause your word to burn in their heart, that they would leave here almost with a skip in their step, and that Father, they would be excited about what you've been doing in their life, and what you can and will do in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. I mentioned last week that one of the challenges in preaching through Zechariah is that we're dealing with a book that's two and a half thousand years old. We're dealing with a culture that is almost literally the other side of the world to us. Now, is Alan Harris here today, Alan? Oh, there you are, Alan. We were nearly close to Dunedin, is that right? Was it, is Dunedin the... It is the exact halfway around, is that right? Okay, and, and, there was, and, and Alan was saying that there's actually a sign, there was a sign on a synagogue there that said, you know, that, um, quoting uh, one of the Psalms where it said, to the uttermost parts of the earth, and they figure that's New Zealand. And we're not far off New Zealand, so when it talks about the gospel and the kingdom message going to the uttermost parts of the earth, we're it. And... Zechariah has something to say about that, but I mentioned that, that in dealing with these issues, dealing with a culture that is so foreign to us, is kind of like trying to convince us all that we need to learn a second language when we have no use of a second language every day, we're not living on the border of a country that speaks another language. And I pointed out, much to the disbelief of nearly everyone, that we are one of the few places on earth that is culturally not bilingual. Most cultures of the world are bilingual. In fact, when we surveyed the congregation last Sunday, we found that someone like uh, Dr. Victor Dare, he speaks five languages. Very impressive, Victor, five languages. Um, some of us speak English and some maybe speak another language as well. So and I mentioned that to say that when we're looking at some of these issues in Zechariah, it's going to be language learning, same category, that's how some are going to treat it. Now I'm, I'm pleased that several people spoke to me after the service and wrote to me and said, actually I realise what you're saying is actually quite important, there's a great deal of importance. Um, Jeanette even emailed me a link about a bunch of people in, in the United States that are currently influencing White House policy on some of the issues that I raised last Sunday. 
So this has uh, an amazing relevance. If you haven't heard me talk about Zechariah so far, just let me inform you that the book of Zechariah is the most quoted book during the Passion period of the life of Christ. In other words, from the week Jesus entered into shouts of Hosanna, to the cross, to the, to the resurrection, the prophet Zechariah is the most cited prophet out of the gospel writers who cite Old Testament prophets. Zechariah's the guy. Secondly, the closing book of the Bible, apart from the book of Ezekiel, it's the book of Zechariah that influences more of the book of Revelation than any other Old Testament prophet as well. So there is good reason, I think, for us to have a look at it, apart from the fact that Paul encouraged elders to preach the whole counsel of God. Now what that means, as far as I understand that, is don't just preach on those favourite bits. Don't just preach on the nice bits. Don't just preach on the bits that you enjoy and you just do that, but not just that. The whole counsel is to go through the whole of Scripture. And in my 25 years here, and thank you very much, Stephen, who sort of made a fuss last Sunday. I'm not thanking him for making a fuss. I'm thanking him that he did it, the blighter. But I've preached through every book of the Bible except two. And this is one of the two that I haven't yet finished preaching through. So that's just by the way. So I, I want us to be biblically literate, to understand that when Judas was paid 30 pieces of silver, he fulfilled a prophecy in Zechariah. When Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, he fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah. And it's those kinds of things that then give me confidence as we go through Zechariah that we look right at the end of Zechariah and it actually has a forecast for what the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the new covenant is going to achieve in this lifetime. I briefly mentioned last week that we tend to be bombarded by social media, news media. I mean, news media is, they're on the hunt for bad news because bad news is sensational. And the problem is, if you're already feeling a little bit down and you turn on the news or listen to the news, it's going to make you feeling even worse because they highlight the bad things that are happening everywhere. In having a discussion, I think, with my home group on Thursday night, the question was, if, this is, if people think the world is getting worse and worse and worse and darker and darker and darker, the question is, if we go back in time, does that mean it's getting lighter and lighter and better and better? And if that's the case, who would rather live a long time ago than today? I mean, every young person should go, hmm, pardon, what? I'm on my smartphone, do you mind? If you were living 200 years ago, you ain't got no smartphone. So I'm saying that to say that Zechariah and Daniel overlap in so many ways. And one of the ways they overlap is in Daniel chapter 2, verse 40, where it talks about the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, talks about the head of gold, Babylon, talks about the chest of silver, Persia, talks about the midriff of bronze, Greece, and then it talks about iron, the Roman Empire, and then the iron and clay feet, 
which is Rome and Jerusalem, clay, soil, earth, the land, mixing with the Roman Empire to put the Messiah to death. And it describes the Messiah as a little stone, it says in Daniel chapter 2. And it says, as they crush that little stone, they discover to their horror that the stone actually crushes them. And then it says, that stone then becomes a great rock, that becomes a great mountain that fills the whole earth. That's what the prophets say about the influence of Jesus Christ in the world today. That his influence will spread around the world. So, with that in mind, I want to take you all back in a time machine. And we're going back to around about the year 536 BC. Darius I, who his name is also Cyrus, has decreed upon coming into Babylon and executing Belteshazzar, the then emperor of Babylon. He then very soon afterwards decrees that all Jews are now free to return to their homeland. So, what does their homeland look like? It looks like a city, a capital city, Jerusalem, that is in absolute ruins. It is rubble. The temple's been destroyed and he's now allowed Jews to go back and he's actually given them some funds to rebuild the temple. And there's all kinds of geopolitical reasons why he might do that because back in that day, they thought in terms of localised deities. And probably Cyrus thought, if I look after your deity, he might bless me over here in, in Babylon. All right. So Jerusalem and the temple were in ruins after its destruction nearly 70 years ago, around 586 BC when Nebuchadnezzar came in and we've looked at that through the book of Jeremiah. So two years after that decree, we now come to Zechariah. And it actually tells us that in the second year of Darius, in the eighth month, it says in Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 1. So two years after that decree, permitting Jews to return to the ruined city, Zechariah returned and began prophesying. So Zechariah would have been quite young. So in other words, he was born in exile. If 586 was the, was the second or third batch of, second batch of exiles that went from Jerusalem to Babylon. He would have been, his dad, whose name was Berechiah, probably would have gone over to Babylon, fathered Zechariah, and as we'll see in a moment, Berechiah probably died quite young. We'll see why that is in a moment. All right. So Zechariah began to prophesy. So he would have been a young man, probably around 20 to 25 years of age. And the reason I say he's at least that is because he's identified as a priest. And that's when you take up your priestly role. So he's a relatively young man. And he's, and I, I want you to get this picture. These people have, the, the, especially the priests, have been in Babylon unable to do priestly things. There's no temple. Without a temple, you can't do it. Even if they built a temple in Babylon, it wouldn't have passed because it had to be in Jerusalem. That's what the decree was. That was the place, the place that the Lord decreed for his temple to be built. So these guys, the priests, couldn't actually do the very thing they were on this planet to do. And Zechariah would have been raised with the hope, one day, Zechariah, one day, God will bring us back because the prophet Jeremiah declared it. 
And we know that they were familiar with Jeremiah's prophecies. In fact, Jeremiah was one of the first books of the Old Testament to be, the word is canonical, which means regarded as God's inspired, inerrant word of God. And they were all familiar with it. And we know that because Daniel quotes it in Daniel chapter 9, where he says, I was reading the prophet the book of the prophet Jeremiah. So these guys were aware of it. So Zechariah was probably raised with this hope. One day we will return. And for us to return and perform our priestly duties, the temple must be rebuilt. Therefore, they would have told young Zechariah as he's growing up, the temple will be rebuilt. So Zechariah arrives 20, 25 years of age. And now he begins to prophesy that not only would Jerusalem and the temple be rebuilt, it would be far more glorious than anything previously. He was there with a slightly older prophet who had arrived there some months earlier. His name was Haggai. And Haggai straight up says it, the glory of the latter temple shall far exceed the glory of the former temple that Solomon built. So this is what these two guys are prophesying. Now you gotta, can you just picture this? This city is in ruins. There is rubble, there's no building material, there's no wall, there's no houses, there's nothing. It's a tiered hill that goes up to Mount Zion and then the Temple Mount and this thing's in ruins and Zechariah turns up and goes, oh, I see it now, a magnificent temple, a city full of people, walls built around it and the Messiah coming into the temple. Now, Kim said to me, I think he was on drugs. Kim, this this morning, I'm I'm reading parts of Zechariah, and she goes, I just finished reading Zechariah. She says, I I think he was on drugs. What on earth? What's he on? But can you get what's happening now? We read this and say, oh, that's lovely. He prophesied the Messiah coming. Messiah came. He prophesied the Messiah would do this. Messiah did that. He prophesied that Jerusalem would be rebuilt. Jerusalem was rebuilt. He prophesied the temple would be rebuilt. In fact, he says, if it's not rebuilt, then I'm a false prophet. And we can look at that and go, oh, well, gee, he was clever. Without realising, can you see the context here? This thing looked absolutely impossible. It wasn't going to happen. So this is what Zechariah is prophesying and he says this in Zechariah chapter 2 verses, uh, verse 12. We could look at uh, verse 10. In fact, we should look at verse 10. I haven't got it on the screen, but if you've got your Bible, you can see it. Zechariah turns up and he says, I think we should sing. Look at it. Zechariah 2 verse 10. I think we should rejoice, he says. Oh, daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Can you imagine he's saying that to rubble? <laughs> Verse 12. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and again choose Jerusalem. And it so did not look like it. It absolutely did not look like that was ever going to happen. One day, about 23 years ago, Tom, you've mentioned this, Noel Cameron came into my office he came to see me about something and he came out and he staggered just took a step back just I'm looking at the wall right now through the glass door that's where he was and he said I I just saw I just see a building I see a big building here now you might think 
oh, you may have had too much pizza the night before. But I've got to tell you, I've never for, I never forgot that. And in all our machinations of what we were going to do, we were looking at going out here, going out there, but here we are. 23 years ago, someone said, I see it. Amazing. Now, I didn't broadcast that too widely because I didn't want people to think I was having too much pizza the night before. But here we are. And I'll tell you, I have dreams of this place, literally have dreams of this place, full of people. Car park full. COVID makes it even more challenging to think that. But let's look beyond this to what could be. So, this is what Zechariah's prophesying for Jerusalem and the temple and the Messiah coming into it. Ha! It's going to be awesome. And here's what we are told in Zechariah chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, you probably want to look at it because what we are going to see is that Zechariah comes back from Babylon with this revelation that he only could have got while he was in Babylon. And that was this, that there is an adversary. The adversary's name is Shatan or Satan. Zechariah declared that Satan would try to thwart God's plan of redemption. No other prophet had ever said that. No other prophet had even really acknowledged Satan. But here we are in Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1 and it says this. He showed me Joshua. The high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Now if we had time we would see how John in the book of Revelation unpacks this a little bit. Where he also describes Satan being in heaven and being the accuser. By the way when the old covenant was brought to an end with the destruction of the temple and the doing away with the Old Testament sacrifices, the Bible says that Satan was cast out of heaven. He's not there anymore. He can't stand before an angel or God or anyone and accuse us because we're not under a covenant of condemnation. And I'll show you why that's really, really important and I think kind of special when we look at this guy, Joshua. Joshua was the high priest. How do you be a high priest for 70 years in exile? How do you do that? What do you do? You've got no temple. You can't keep the feasts that require temple sacrifices, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. You can't do it because you've got no temple. How do you do it? Now, I don't know what Joshua did. I don't know. But whatever he did, I suspect he lost hope. I suspect he despaired. You'll see why in a moment, why I think that, why I think there's reason to think that. So I, I want you to get that this is a part of God's plan. Everything we're reading here was designed to bring the circumstances for which Jesus could come and die for the sins of humanity. And here's Joshua, a key part in that plan, who has the Hebrew, I think the Hebrew is um, stuffed up. 
probably gloriously. That's not Hebrew, by the way. If you're wondering, Hebrew, where's that in Hebrew? God's plan of redemption has always been the frontline battleground for spiritual warfare. We've got to get that. God's plan of redemption. If we're not a church that's interested in seeing people come to know Christ, Satan couldn't care care less about anything you or I do. If we're just about having a holy huddle each Sunday, I don't think, I think, oh, they're they're, they're no threat. (laughs) They're no threat. But as Tom said, over the aspect of worship this morning that we had, which is the offering, we do that because we reach people who are even in this building right now who have not yet given their life to Christ. We do that because there are people watching right now on Facebook and YouTube and our live stream. And you don't yet know Christ. And we want you to. We want you to come to know Christ. That makes us a bit of a threat. And here's the confidence I have. I said before, Satan's cast out of heaven. He's no threat to us anymore. We're a threat to him. It says in verse 2 of Zechariah chapter 3, The Lord said to Satan, Now get this, The Lord rebuke you. O Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? And the angel is pointing at the high priest. So that tells me this guy got into some hot water. Well, not hot water, a hot fire. He's a brand plucked from the fire. He had drifted he had gone off he had dropped the ball this should give every one of us the encouragement that if we just sort of back off a bit from God God doesn't back off from us (laughs) here's Joshua it's important that he plays his part in the plan of redemption and God was going to make sure of it so Zechariah prophesies that the rebuilding will be a joint effort between Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel. Now who's Zerubbabel? We'll talk about him in a moment. Now here's how in, in the next verse, Joshua, uh, Zechariah 3.3, 3, here's how we know Joshua had not been living as he should have been. Now Joshua was standing before the angel, see that, clothed with filthy garments. We don't know what he'd been doing. But whatever he had been doing, the dignity of the Holy Spirit in inspiring this word, the dignity that he gave this man, is we don't know. And I'm telling you, on the day of judgment, if we're all standing in the same, like near proximity, and it comes to the books that are open on my life, just just go and find something to do. (laughs) The dignity that God gives Joshua but the hope he gives us in the way it's described. Verse four, and the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments, which is clothing, but not just clothing, priestly garments, a costume that, sends a message of holiness and 
representing the Holy One. Now you might think, hang on a minute. If God could, could forgive him so easily of his sin, why didn't he just do that rather than send Jesus to die? I don't know if anyone thought that. But it has been suggested. I recently heard a very smart um, New Testament scholar by the name of Greg Boyd. He said, I don't understand why God just didn't, I forgive you all. If he could do it there, why, why, couldn't, why can't he just do it? Why did he need to send his son to the cross? Here's the answer. When the angel of the Lord declared this to Joshua, it was on the basis that Jesus was going to take past sin into the future. He, Jesus was coming in the future. He was going to take that sin and he was going to pay for the sins of all humanity since Adam. And on that basis, your sins are forgiven. And guess what? The same cross that dealt with sins in the past dealt with every sin that would ever be committed into the future. The next time you sin and you repent and you turn to Christ, it's not because you've repented. It's because Jesus already has paid the price for it. This is, this is quite crazy good news. This is, this is Toyota jump stuff, really. This is, this is, wow, this is awesome. And I say that because I know that there are, there are people, maybe even watching now, and I've had people come to me and say, I don't know if God could ever forgive me for what I've done. Last week, um, I forget who prayed. Who did the national, state national prayer last week? Who was that? Lynn. Yes, Lynn, you prayed. I don't know if you remember Lynn praying last week, but I was so pleased with what she prayed when in particular I don't know if you heard about the the the, the fatalities on the Midland Highway can you imagine the 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 family and they they may be watching you may know who they are and 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 it was a solar panel that came off their caravan going the other way it flew off went onto the other side of the road and the result was fatalities and and you just think how would you feel it was your caravan how would you feel how I would lose sleep knowing that something that relatively innocent happened from my part of you, but point of view, but it, but it cost people their lives. If that's how I'd feel with that, what about the person who deliberately, intentionally does something wrong, maybe in spite and anger, and it costs someone their lives? And here's the good news Jesus died for that. Jesus offers you forgiveness no matter what you've done no matter who you've done it with no matter who knows what you've done if he can do it for the high priest who was charged with being the holiest person in Israel and he can take away his filthy garments and then pronounce him guiltless that's old covenant imagine what God can do now in the new covenant it is truly awesome and I said let them put a clean turban on his head. This is the angel talking. And so they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And if you know anything about that expression, the angel of the Lord, do a study on it. You'll find that there is good reason why many scholars believe the expression, the angel of the Lord who receives worship, who speaks in the first person, 
as being God was actually Jesus Christ. Here now, verse 8, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. And I find this intriguing. If this is the angel of the Lord Christ, pre-incarnate, incarnate means became flesh, pre, before he became flesh as a baby in Bethlehem, he says to Joshua the high priest, this is Zechariah talking, and this is, this is what he says, Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. Here's the, I, this is just fascinating. The Hebrew word branch sounds like in English, Nazar. Nazar. And so in Matthew chapter 2, where it says that Joseph and Mary settled in Nazareth, Matthew says something like this, As the prophets said, the Messiah would be called a Nazarene. And it sounds like that word branch. This is speaking of the Messiah. That's all we have time for tonight. For a CD copy or premium download of tonight's discussion, please go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org and select Zechariah Part 3 from our online store. As we've heard tonight, Zechariah didn't have government departments or unions to do battle with. The opposition to the rebuilding of the temple was at the level of spiritual warfare. Several people would need to contribute their small part to the project. More from Dr. Corbett next week as he continues with Zechariah. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.